Welcome back to Pod Hates Louisa, a weekly podcast where I talk about whatever the hell I want. So this entire episode was inspired by a meme I saw. That's going to end up becoming my brand at this rate, but what can I say? Memes just like really spark my creative process. Anyway, it was a meme with two Lego guys talking to each other, and one was Sigmund Freud and the other was a client, and the client said, I'm depressed, Freud, and Freud said, it's probably penis. Anyway, here's your prescription cocaine. And I just thought that encapsulates Freudian psychoanalysis pretty perfectly. And I remember learning about it briefly during AP Psych in high school, which I recently learned was banned in Florida in line with their Don't Say Gay Act, which they're calling the Parental Rights and Education Act, because the course contains a tiny bit of very limited and reductive sexual and gender education. Schools can still offer the course, but only if they just completely censor all the gender and sexuality stuff, apparently. And this sucks for a multitude of reasons. Number one is kind of just that they're taking away a really good educational opportunity from students and their families and people love AP Psych it's like one of the most popular APs I loved it when I took it and it's not even that much gender and sexuality info in the course like there were two pages in our textbook about it and they didn't even really acknowledge non-binary people at all I would say it needed a lot more work before considering it like anywhere near comprehensive sexuality and gender education anyway facts don't care about your feelings Ron DeSantis I'm sorry you're so scared of a textbook image of two gay penguins that you're banning a whole ass class and if you have the misfortune of living in Florida right now, I'm really sorry. I hope teachers can protest by like teaching their students this crucial information anyway, and I really wish they didn't have to risk their jobs by doing so. It really sucks. But today, I wanted to talk about some of the wildest concepts in Freudian psychology, and also kind of like debunk some pop psychology pseudoscience things like the MBTI, so you're in for a fun one. So who was Sigmund Freud? He was an Austrian psychoanalyst, which is some kind of wacky cross between a therapist and psychologist, and he was active in the late 19th and early 20th century. Some very important facts about him. He studied zoology at the University of Vienna when he was young, and he dissected eels to try to find the male's gonads, or sex organs, which was a task that puzzled scientists for centuries. So he cut open tons and tons and tons of eels and found that they were all of the tenderer sex, as he put it, which means they were female. And he did eventually find one male eel, but that was a total fluke because I actually listened to a radio about this and the reason that there were so many supposedly female eels is because the eel's sex is determined by their environment rather than their genetics and the ones he was cutting open hadn't reached the point in their life and migration cycles where they usually develop testes and the one he found had just started developing early for some reason maybe it was exposed to a certain environmental factor earlier than the other ones another fact about Freud is that he loved coke and he wrote a paper called On Coca which he characterized as a song of praise to the this magical substance and he would pass cocaine out to all of his friends and family and after a while of doing that he kind of got wise to the fact that it was like insanely addictive and that you could actually OD on it so he stopped like singing its praises in public but he still used it for a while after that don't get it twisted. Another interesting thing about him is that he was an atheist born into a Jewish family and because of this in 1933 his books were burned by the Nazis. So now let's get into some of his main theories. So the basic idea underlying everything Freudian is basically that human behavior is driven by unconscious desires and conflicts, and Freud kind of divided the psyche into three components that interact to create our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. So the bottom layer, I guess, of like the iceberg is the id, and this is the most basic and instinctual part, and it's hedonistic, so it like seeks pleasure regardless of the cost. And then on top of that is the ego, and this is what you would experience as the self or I, and it's in contact with the 
outside world via your senses. And then on top of that is the superego, which is the internalized ideals from families, friends, and society that you've picked up. And it works to suppress the urges of the id and also to make the ego kind of act in tune with moral expectations. Another thing Freud was really big on was dream interpretation. So he wrote a whole book about it. He basically believed that dreams were a form of wish fulfillment and that interpreting our dreams could reveal our repressed infantile wishes. And he was kind of obsessed with like repressed stuff from childhood, which we'll get into in a second. And in order to interpret dreams, he used free association, which was essentially having his parents, his parents, his patients say whatever came to mind when they thought of each element in a dream. This is kind of where that classic image of like someone lying on a couch in their therapist's office comes from. Clients would just like lay on a couch while they were free associating and Freud would like sit in his chair and just like basically say a bunch of bullshit and they would be like, sounds about right. So it's funny that I accidentally said parents instead of patients earlier because another thing Freud believed in was the idea of a Freudian slip. So basically like you unconsciously or accidentally say something that reveals your unconscious thoughts. So apparently I was thinking about parents when I said patience, but I mean like I'm pretty sure that it's usually just because we get tongue-tied or we misread something or you know there can be other completely valid reasons for accidentally saying something you didn't want to say. So another area Freud contributed to a lot was like the field of child development studies and specifically he had this like framework of like five stages of psychosexual development. And he believed that you could become fixated in one of these stages if you didn't resolve the central conflict of that stage. So the first stage is the oral stage, which is from birth to one year old. And the idea behind it is that basically because babies are completely dependent on caretakers for food, they develop an association between oral stimulation and like a feeling of trust and comfort and safety. They have to be successfully weaned and become more independent. And if they don't, they can develop an oral fixation, which can cause them to have problems with like constantly needing to have something in their mouth. Oral fixation is a very popular term and now you know the origin of that. If Freud were around today, he would probably say that all these kids vaping have an oral fixation and that's why. So the next stage is the anal stage and this is from one to three years. So this is when children are normally potty trained and they need to be successfully taught to control their bowels and bladder, which will give them a sense of accomplishment and independence if done correctly. But if parents like ridicule and punish them for having accidents, then those children can develop either an anal expulsive personality if their parents are too lenient, which means that they'll be messy, wasteful, and destructive, or they can develop an anal retentive personality when their parents are too strict. And I feel like that's another popular term I hear people say. Like, you've probably heard someone say someone is being anal about something, and this is what they mean. It's like an overly rigid and obsessive personality. The next stage is the phallic stage, and that's from three to six years old. And during this stage, children are supposedly focused on biological sex and gender identity. And a really big Freudian idea is the idea of the Oedipus complex, which suggests that children have unconscious sexual desires toward their opposite sex parent and see their same sex parent as a rival. And that kind of causes them to adopt gender roles and reproduce patriarchal structures. Basically, Freud was saying that everyone wants to fuck their mom and be their dad. Or if you're assigned female at birth, that everyone wants to fuck their dad and be their mom. I don't know about you, but I don't think that's a very normal thought pattern to have. I understand aspiring to be like a parent, but it sounds to me like Freud was dealing with some shit. Definitely dealing with some shit. And a component of this Oedipus complex is the idea of castration anxiety, which is like children assigned male at 
birth, fearing that they will be punished by their father for desiring the mother, and that would make them feel castrated. Again, Freud, this is not normal. <laughs> These are not thoughts that everyone has. And it also obviously, like, assumes a heterosexual two-parent household, and it assumes the gender binary. And then I guess the flipped version of castration anxiety is penis envy, which is probably the concept that lends its name to this episode. And according to Freud, this is when children assigned female at birth realize they don't have a penis, and then they feel castrated compared to males. He was really obsessed with feeling castrated for some reason. And this was like a key moment in sexual development and also like a source of mental illness for people assigned female at birth. Penis envy. Guess that's why I'm mentally ill. Thanks, Freud. Makes sense. And there is a later psychologist who critiqued this theory who was named, and you cannot make this shit up, Karen Horney. I just feel like that was an important fact. And she proposed the idea of womb envy, which is when people without uteruses feel inferior because they cannot give birth to children. So then after the phallic stage, there is the latent period, and this is basically just like age six to puberty, and Freud believed that all sexual energy was like repressed or dormant during this time. And I think that's probably true for most people. That makes a lot of sense to me. It's like one of the only things in Freudian theory that like kind of actually makes sense. And according to Freud, fixating at the latent stage can result in sexual immaturity or general immaturity or just like a lack of ability to form meaningful relationships in adulthood. And then the last stage of psychosexual development lasts from puberty to death and it's the genital stage. And the goal here is just to establish a balance between one's urges and the need to conform to social norms and moral values. So that is an incredibly vague thing to say. Like, it kind of makes sense. Like, yes, your goal in life should be to find a healthy balance, but I could have told you that. And that is one of my major criticisms of Freud, just that most of his stuff is either, like, incredibly vague to appeal to a wider audience, which is a recurring pattern in pop psychology, and we'll touch on that later, or it's, like, incredibly specific, and it's, like, obvious that he's projecting and generalizing his own twisted psyche to the entire population of the world, apparently. And it's just way too focused in general on a cis hetero white male perspective. Obviously, not everyone is a cis hetero white male. And he's so focused on childhood and early life events, but so many households are vastly different from each other, and you can't just assume this like two parent household with one mom and one dad. And of course, early life events do have like a profound effect on adult outcomes, but it's just not as simple as Freud makes it seem. And even the same early childhood events can affect different people completely differently because of the interplay of genes and environment. And contrary to what Freud would like you to believe, it's not all about sex. So basically, that's Freud in a very big nutshell. He contributed a lot to the field of psychology, but also he was like talking out of his ass a lot of the time. One might say he was anal expulsive. Okay, I'm gonna stop. Now I want to talk about another like pop psychology thing, which is the MBTI. You've probably heard of this, or you might have seen it online as the 16 personalities test. I feel like a lot of people are going to be mad at me for this. Maybe not like as mad as if I made an episode with my thoughts on astrology, but as far as I'm concerned, the MBTI is just astrology with an added layer of perceived scientific legitimacy. And I'm not sure why people think it's legit because it's widely disregarded as pseudoscience by the entire scientific community. Probably because it's like a questionnaire and it has an acronym and a like well-designed website. Anyway, the MBTI, also known as the Myers-Briggs, 
Briggs Type Indicator was developed by two random ladies with no scientific credentials, Catherine Cook Briggs and her daughter Isabel Briggs Myers. So again, not scientists, not psychologists, and even like science and psychology at the time were obviously like really flawed, and I'm not saying that scientific credentials would give them absolute legitimacy. That is by no means true. But it's important to note that they were just random ladies who read a book, and it was called Psychological Types by a Neo-Freudian psychologist named Carl Jung, and they decided to take that book and turn it into a test that assigns a binary value to each of four dichotomies. So they are introversion versus extroversion, sensing versus intuition, thinking versus feeling, and judging versus perceiving. And for each one of those, you get a letter. So if you're an introvert, you get I. If you're an extrovert, you get E, etc. There's also a fifth letter, which is either an A for assertive or a T for turbulent. I don't really know where those came from or what they mean, because to me, it doesn't seem like assertive and turbulent are like diametrically opposed. Anyway, you get five letters that correspond to your personality type. So for example, according to the test, I am an INTJT. So that means that I'm introverted, intuitive, thinking, judging, and turbulent. Although when I was younger, I remember getting a different result. I've actually taken the test a couple times and I've gotten multiple different results throughout my life. I remember getting ENTP and then also I think INFP at different stages. Hmm, it's almost like human personalities are complex and subtly change over time and humans can't be neatly sorted into 16 categories by a single test. Or I guess 32 categories if you count like that extra letter at the end. And it's just not that simple. It's overly binaristic and reductive and we all know how much I hate binaries. There is no way in hell I have the same personality as every other INTJ. In fact, let's look up some famous examples. Oh god, okay. I'm gonna divide these into two categories, gross and cool. So the gross category, Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg. I just did a whole episode on why I hate what these men have done to society, Hillary Clinton, and Rand. I do not like any of those people. Now for the cool category, Karl Marx, Vladimir Lenin, Nikola Tesla, Stephen Hawking, Isaac Asimov, who is a sci-fi writer. I don't know how like cool he was as a person. He might have done something shady and creepy and gross, but I like his books. And Julia Stiles, um, who is the female lead in 10 Things I Hate About You. And I relate to that character so much, love Cat. But we have to remember that we don't really know these people at all, and this is all speculation. It's just people taking snippets of a famous person's writings or what they've said and constructing a full personality for them in their head and then using this pseudoscientific test to type them. So this is very, very, very unscientific. Okay, according to this website, I also apparently have the same personality type as Isaac Newton and Ted Kaczynski. Okay, I really think I need to like stop reading these. Anyway, the point of that exercise was to show you that the test is mostly flattering. Like, I got really excited about seeing myself in the same category as all these famous smart people. And when you take the test and get your results, it basically extols the positive traits associated with your type. And that really appeals to people's self-serving bias. Like, people just like reading nice things about themselves in general. So of course they're going to like it. Another reason a lot of people like the MBTI is because, like horoscopes, it is a prime example of the Barnum effect, which is the tendency to accept certain information as true even when it's so vague as to be worthless. We are really good as humans at reading general information and calling up specific details of our own lives and personalities that make it seem super accurate to us, and that's just a tendency as humans that we have that we need to get around by thinking critically. So I guess the moral of this one is that pop psychology can be fun, but don't get it confused with science, and don't get Freudian stuff confused with science either. And I will talk to you next week. Louisa Miller out.